from St. Paul's epistle to Timothy. But godliness with content, contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Here is a, here's a question for today that I want to talk about in a couple of different angles. And here it is. What is your first love? It's kind of a trick question, actually, because I, maybe it's just me. But when I think of my first love, what I immediately think of is my spouse, my wife, my, my, child, my children, the things in my life that I care for and adore. And if we're not careful, you think about it, there, we all have lots of different things that we love in our lives. We've all got different loves, you might say. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my church, I love guitars, I love music. I love a rare filet mignon with a Pinot Noir. <laughs> but I'm actually not asking you the things that you most enjoy, and I'm not asking you the thing that was your first significant other, for whatever that means. What I'm asking you is a big question. What is the thing that you love the most? And if you're not sure or you're self-deceived, maybe a bit of both, <laughs> if you're not sure what is the thing that you love the most, here's how you know. What is the thing that if you lost it, it would destroy you? What is the thing that if you lost it, it would destroy you? Friends, that is your first love. And while we're at it, this first love business, what that means, what exactly makes our first love our first love in the first place? What is it about the sense of priority of the things that we place at the top of the heap in our mental construct of how we look at problems in the world? What is our first love? And what exactly makes our first love our first love? Well, St. Paul writes his epistle to a guy named Timothy, a young priest. We're going to talk about Timothy next week as well. And Paul writes to Timothy this letter, this chapter 6, an old clergyman, well, not an old guy, but younger than me probably, Paul would have been, writing to a younger priest named Timothy about Timothy's first loves. And it's actually a challenge and a warning to Timothy and to you and to me. What is your first love, and how do you claim it if you've lost it? What is your first love, and how do you claim it if you, if you lost it? So first thing is, what is our first love? What do I mean by this? Well, what is a, a, the, the, first, the things that we love in this world, no matter what they are, whether they're people or places or things, the things that we love or the people that we love are the objects or people in our life that give us a sense of security and safety, right? The things that we love are things that give us a sense of security and safety and identity. They give us a sense of control. You know, two years ago, it's hard to believe already, two years ago we were in the midst of that, uh, what's that thing? Now? Oh, COVID, that's right, remember that? Uh, masks and panic buying and toilet paper, remember that? That was the big run. Uh, and you saw it on TV, you know, you saw it on the news, you even saw it in some quarters of the church, frankly, this fear, this complete terror of what was in front of us. Well, fear, if you think about it, is the loss of control. Our first love is what we use to get control, but fear is the loss 
of control, and I'll prove it to you. Think of the thing that you fear the most. Think of the thing that you fear the most, right? It is the things you can't control, and it probably has something to do with your first love. Am I confusing you here? Think of the things that you fear the most. Having it for me, as a married man, a father, having a child abducted or uh, the, the dreaded phone call in the middle of the night, a, or not middle of the night, like kids wouldn't be out that late, but a phone call from a police officer that your, your child has been in a car accident and killed, or your wife has diagnosed with some, some disease or illness. Those are the things which I fear because I have no control over them. We fear what we cannot control. We fear what we can't control. So what do we do? Control it more, right? Dig in. Well, Paul tells us in verse 6, look at this. Paul writes, and he's going in the whole thread of all these things that Timothy is trying to control before verse 6. And then Paul says, yeah, 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 Timothy, all those things, but, here we go, godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen to that again. How do you control? Well, it's a different question. Godliness with contentment is great gain gain. What does that mean? Well, contentment is a Greek word, artarkis. And it actually is an old, it's a Greek word used in the first century culture and before that for this idea of, in the Greek worldview called stoicism. Ever heard of a stoic or stoicism? It's kind of making a comeback today. Uh, stoicism is this idea that, that you can withhold, you can, you, can, um, you can be detached from the world, right? That you are, you are radical detachment from all things. And so therefore, you are freed from fear because you don't worry about anything. That's this idea of stoicism, that you soldier along, that you tough it out. The idea of a life unmoved by the chance events of the day. Think of the idea of the uh, British stiff upper lip and you get the idea of what Paul's driving at. But Paul takes this idea, this stoic idea of detachment and disconcern for things of the world and he sticks a little Christianity on there. It's brilliant what he does. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. <laughs> Paul takes this, this stoic idea of, of detachment and he Christianizes it. And, and, and what he does is he says that here's the idea. If you want to be able to be a person that can take anything that the, light, the world throws at you, immovable, unshakable, unflappable, it's not by a sheer act of the will. We all know that. Rather, it's because of, listen, you are completely dependent on God as your first love. See, when God's your first love, when God is, when you have contended with, contentedness with godliness, what Paul's saying is, yeah, yeah, you don't just muddle through and soldier along, you know, stiff upper lip. No, well, you put God first. And contentedness follows. Contentedness is knowing, friends, listen, that God is in control even when you are not. So here's a question. Are you content? The only real way to be content in this life is to have God first. And if you are discontent, it's because of only one thing. You've got something in his place. <laughs> You've put something, a child, a job, a career, a spouse, money, we'll get to that in a minute. Something has taken place, number one, and that's why you fear. That's why you worry, because it could fail you. If you are discontent in this world, if you are not at peace, it's because something has taken God's place in your heart. Something has misplaced your first love. 
There's a, there's a guy I watch on, uh, not a lot, but on YouTube, I came across a YouTube video of a guy that, uh, his, he, he's a, he writes books about leadership, not very good books, frankly, but <laughs> he, I was writing a video, the video was cool, he said, how I, how I made my dream and failed, something like that, and he, he described how he'd always wanted to be a motivational writer and write books, and, and he did, he, he said he was, he put his, you know, stoically, put his head to the grindstone and just cranked through it, just bashed through. Type A personality, kind of like me. <laughs> anyway, he went through this whole thing, he said, and as he was going through building his career as a speaker and a vlogger and all these different things, it was exciting, he was a, it, was, it was a challenge, it gave him a sense of accomplishment, and he felt good about himself, yeah, I'm finally going to achieve my dreams, until he actually did. It's fascinating. He says, it was a, the journey was marvelous. I was excited. I was on top of the world until I was on top of the world. So when he got to the top, the excitement was gone. When he got to the top, he realized what had been in first place failed him. Maybe you know someone like that. I do. Maybe you know someone like this. If only I can start a business, if only I will get married, if only I can raise a family, then I'll be happy. If only I can make a lot of money, if only I can, whatever, fill in the blank. We've all got something. Then I'll be at peace. Then I'll be content. But then you achieve it, and you find yourself empty. You find yourself anxious. You find yourself right back where you started from. No one, anyone like that? I do. He's talking to you. In fact, if you look at the great music, you look at famous music, music musicians, right? John Mayer, for example, or famous sports heroes, guys that are men and women that are just at the top of their game. They're cranking along, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, and behind them and support them until they get there, and they get to the top, and they look around, and they say, this is it? See, the problem is this. When you put something besides God as your first love, when something, besides, when something takes the place of God as your first love, that love doesn't satisfy you. It can't satisfy you. Did you notice something really important here? It's uh, Paul talks about this idea of putting a false god first. And the very first thing he pivots into is money. You know why? Because money gives us control. Because money gives us the ability to make decisions that mold our lives into the way we want it to be. Because money allows us to choose where we live, who we live next to, the kind of house we, go, we are in, the, where the kids go to school, the trips we can take. And it's so easy, it's so easy to get sucked into this trap. Paul says, Paul describes those who, who pursue money for its sake of the, their first love. It's like a snare, he says. Look at it. A snare is like a little uh, trap on the ground that a, a bird walks into. He doesn't see it. Bird's hopping along and goes, his foot gets in a snare and he's caught. Paul says that's what this money is like for Timothy, for me, and for you. It's a snare. It's dangerous. And then he says something, probably one of the most misunderstood texts in all the Bible. He says, uh, for the love of money, that word for can be the word because, gar is the Greek, because the love of money Listen to what he says closely. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. 
And it doesn't say the money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So here's a question for you as we talk about what's our first thing, our first love. Do you love money? You probably do. In fact, I think we all do to one degree or another. Because most people think of the love of money as that you have it, right? You've got all this wealth. You're like, you're like you got a, a, you know, massive amounts of income, a huge house, whatever. You've got, what, you know the idea. But people think that, people look at the wealthy as the ones that love money. And that might be true. You've accumulated a great source of income. You've got great accomplishment, great pride. You can love money and have it too. The problem is when you love money and you have it, you become contemptuous of those who do not. And you do things like take people that are brought into your town and ship them off to a military base somewhere on Cape Cod, for example. But you can all, but here's the, here's the tricky part of all this, right? You can also love money if you don't have it. You can, also, you can love money if you have it, but you can also love money if you don't. If you love money and you don't have it, what does that put in your heart? Jealousy and envy of those who do have it. Tax the rich, the one percenters, they're the cause of the problem, right? See my point? The love of money is a two-edged sword, and I would say we all, one way or another, love money because it gives us a sense of control. It takes the place of God it becomes our first love. Back in 2001, uh, my wife Kathy and I moved from where I was working. I was, we lived in Chester County, Pennsylvania. Anybody know it? Uh, we lived in Collegeville, actually, in King of Prussia for a while. But we lived there, and then we, we, I quit my job working at Siemens Corporation, 32 years old, making a really healthy six-figure income. Quit my job. We moved, sold the house, moved from Chester County, Pennsylvania to... Ambridge, Pennsylvania, which is where the American Bridge Company used to be before steel dried up in Pittsburgh. And we moved from a house, literally, I had a house with a manicured lawn, nice house, cul-de-sac, kids in the front, their little bikes in the front with all the other families around. I had a white picket fence, okay? <laughs> I really did. We left all that, and my wife, we left all that for a town which was full of uh, empty buildings, brown fields, they call them, prostitutes, and drug addicts. I'll never forget my wife called me one day. I was at class. She calls me from the minivan with, the two, with Amy and Katie in the back. She calls me from the CVS drive through line picking up medicine. Hysterical crying because there's a drug deal going down right in front of her. She had no idea what to do. Friends, all of that was ripped away. And I, knew, and I noticed, and we went from making... We went from strolling through the cheese aisle at Whole Foods to standing in the wick aisle lined up for food stamps to pay for our kids' food. So God took us from here, and he took us down to the bottom. And I learned something important, that I loved money. Now, if you'd asked me at 33 years old, hey, Chris, do you love money? I'd say, of course not. Only, only uh, you know selfish, ungrateful people love money. I would have said, no way, I don't love it, but I did. And the reason I, the reason I knew it, because, when I, because that is what I leaned on for my sense of control. But God broke me. He broke me hard. He broke my wife, both of us. And while it was really hard, friends, to go from here to here, 
we learned something critical about the love of money, that it is, in fact, the root of all kinds of evil. In your heart, it challenges, changes how you think of other people. And I will also say that when, when God ripped that away from me and God took first place living in a burned-out steel town in western Pennsylvania, when God was, became my first love because I had no choice, I was content. See, friends, we are all, to one degree or another, lovers of money, whether you have it or you don't, because money is the thing that a lot of us put in place of God to give our sense of control. And see, the problem here that Paul's driving at, Paul's telling Timothy, watch out for this, Timothy. Timothy's a priest, right? We all fall into this. And the problem, the tragedy, is that all of these things we put in God's place, they fail us. They can't not fail us. (laughs) My grandfather, Fred Vermeen, I've talked about him before. He's an ornery guy. Loved the guy. Uh, He once said to me, he goes, you know, you can't take it with you. And he didn't. (laughs) He didn't leave it to me either. (laughs) But the overarching point here, you see, is Paul says, look, we bring nothing in, we take nothing out. So where you put, where you, Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart goes. We bring nothing in, we bring nothing out. And I will tell you this, friends, I have been at the bedside of many people in their final days, in their final moment of life. And no one has ever said to me, you know, Father, I wish, I wish I'd made more money. No one's ever said, you know, man, I wish I bought a bigger house or a nicer car. No one's ever said, I really, but I really wish I spent more time at the office. That's what I really wish. <laughs> no one's ever said that to me. Because when you're confronted with the fact that you bring nothing in, you take nothing out, you realize we spend a lot of time wasting time. And so Paul's warning us. Paul's warning us. He says in verse 2, how do we redirect? If we catch ourselves in love with something besides God, how do we redirect Well, he says it here. This is actually pretty cool. Verse 12, Paul assumes that Timothy loves something besides God. He says this, verse verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, and this is for all of us in this room, Paul says, flee, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love. Fight the good fight of the faith. And notice something in all that description of how do you realign your hearts back to God when you put something else in his place? He doesn't, Paul lays out a series of verbs. Be, be godly, be faithful, be loving, be steadfast. Fight the good fight. See, Paul realizes that Timothy and me and you, we have all bitten the apple. We've all fallen into the trap. We all do it. We all confuse our loves. So Paul says to set this right, do the right thing. If you spend any time here, you know that I am speaking of doing the right thing and keeping God in first place. If you spend any time here, you know that I spend, I'm an advocate and a believer in tithing. It's biblical and it's effective. Here's what it, tithing means, that 10% of your income goes to the life and work of the church. When I was in seminary, making whatever it was, ridiculously small salary, working as the IT director at the seminary, but even in seminary, when I was in seminary, I tithed. I tithed before that, and I continued to tithe, and I continue to tithe even now. 10% off the top to the work of, the, of God and the church. And the reason it's so important 
tithing is so important for my heart and for yours is that it keeps God first. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will go. Ask anyone who tithes. And a lot of people in this parish do, by the way. Ask anyone in this parish if it will change their life, and they'll say yes. Tithing in my own heart changed, turned, taught me to trust God. It taught me that he is trustworthy. It strengthened my faith. Ask anybody who does it. They'll tell you. I've met lots of people who tithe. I've met lots of people who refuse to tithe. I've never met anyone who tithed and regretted it, ever. Because tithing keeps God your first love. And when God is first, you can handle anything the world throws at you. You can have a life of peace and joy, knowing that even when life is out of your control, it's still in his. And that, friends, is a life of godliness and contentedness. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that we are your first love that you loved us so much that you gave your only son to save us. Remind us, Father, to keep you as our first love, and when our hearts go astray, to do the right thing and come back to you and put you where you belong. Only when you are Lord of our lives, when you are our first love, is true contentedness and happiness found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.